You're listening to Inspirational Decency, episode 578, Embryonic Porcupines. Hello. I've decided to jettison the usual format of my show this week in order to bring you this backdoor pilot of sorts for my new podcast, Moving It at the Movies with the D-Man. This new podcast will feature weekly movie reviews, previews of forthcoming releases, long synopses of movies starring Mickey Rourke and Jeff Dunham that I would like to see made, and long descriptions of the Mickey Rourke-Jeff Dunham hybrid I am constructing in my basement. I will also attempt to give tutorials on film history, although since I have only been watching movies for about two weeks, I would ask you not to take me at my word. In any case... In this episode, I will discuss the new flick from legendary action director Rock Punts, entitled Get Ripped or Get Flipped. The film is headlined by international action star Lynn Beveridge, who gives a performance that must be seen, heard, and snorted to be believed. Lynn plays a former KGB agent who defects to America to work as a clown at funerals. This premise may not sound promising or realistic, but I was distracted throughout much of the film by sharp pains in my eyes, so I wasn't too bothered by it. Having found a new home and profession in America, Beveridge lives a contented and peaceful life, until she is wrenched back into the secret agent game by the CIA, who recruit her to bring down a notorious assassin named the Stapler, who takes down his targets by shooting them eight times and then throwing a stapler at them. Complicating matters, however, is the fact that the Stapler is Beveridge's former accountant. I am actually quoting the movie's press release here, It is unclear to me how this actually complicates matters. Maybe Beveridge's character practices a religion in which killing your accountant is a sin that bars you from the afterlife. Or something. I I don't know. This is never really explained in the movie. In any case, there are many exciting action sequences in this movie, including one in which Sam Elliott, as renegade cowboy FBI agent Tux Punchin, yells at a cactus for not saluting him when he walks into a room. This is by far the most compelling half-hour of film I've seen this year. Also of note is Rudger Hauer's performance as a melting wax statue of Rudger Hauer. Despite these high points, however, the film stumbles fatally towards the end, with a plot twist that is, quite frankly, unbelievable. One can perhaps accept that the legal secretary would have a switchblade in his penny loafers, but would he really harbor such an intense attraction toward a cardboard cutout of an angry swan? And would that really lead him to smear a large bowl of pancake mix over his face? And what are the odds that this pancake mix would turn out to be explosive? This really taxes one's suspension of disbelief. The true nadir of the film, however, actually comes in its final scene, in which it is revealed that the man everyone thinks is Nelson Mandela is actually an eight-foot stalk of corn in disguise, thereby negating the entire plot point involving the Shriners Convention and the five-gallon tub of lemony gunk. Ultimately, while Punce paces the movie with a sure and expert hand, and while Beveridge's performance is wonderfully loud and incoherent, I'd rather rip this than flip this, I think. Does that make any sense? I'm saying I didn't like it. Anyway, next time on Movin' It at the Movies with the D-Man, we'll take a look at the new romantic comedy, Friends Who Constantly Talk About Having Sex with Each Other. Until then, I'll see you outside the bathrooms in the lobby.
Good evening. I'm Prime Minister Stephen Harper. My Conservative Party received a majority government in last week's federal election, thereby ushering in a new era in the kind of wholly insincere lip service I will pay to the notion of working with the other parties and serving all of my constituents, whether they voted for my party or not. I should say, of course, that to those of you who did not vote for my party, while I respect your views, you should respect in turn the fact that you, the 60% of Canadian voters who did not support my policies, were vastly outnumbered by the 40% who did. Majority rules. That's just math. Those numbers don't lie, no matter how hard they try. In any case, you can expect some positive changes across this nation we all love. To begin with, if you're a recipient of any of the social services offered by the Canadian government, I'm very excited to announce what I like to refer to as deprivation therapy. Think of it as like being blindfolded and taken to a densely wooded area, then being asked to find your way back. And remember, you are still blindfolded, and your knees are bound together. If you can find your house after that, you really are a true Canadian. It's the same principle. But the big news I'd like to reveal right now involves Canada's prison system. We are, of course, planning on significantly expanding the number and size of Canadian prisons. Some have rather snidely referred to these expanded prisons as mega-prisons. This is a gross overstatement. Oh, I'm sorry, did I say overstatement? Whoops, that is, that is not what I meant. I, I, I should have said understatement. It grossly underestimates the, the sheer scope of what I'm planning for Canada's penitentiaries. Man, it, it is so weird how my brain does that. I always say overstatement when I mean understatement. Kind of like how I'll say, I have no hostility towards the CBC. Talk about your brain blips. <laughs> anyway, what I have in mind for Canada's prisons isn't some mega prison system. That's old hat to me. What I have in mind will bring Canada to the forefront of the global prison industry. Have you guys ever been to the West Edmonton Mall? You know how they have hotels inside the mall? Well, I hereby announce my plans to build, in five major urban areas across Canada, a series of mall attentories. That's right, mall attentories. Imagine reams of tourists filing through 600,000 square meters of retail space. Upscale department stores, movie theaters, museums, all of them interspersed with tiny 8 by 8 foot cells for those who don't want to follow my rules. Imagine someone convicted of robbery or burglary, someone who may very well have been led to such an act through sheer poverty and desperation. Learning from Canada's upper class about the religion, the fine gilded art of consumption, without which our society would not have the oil that lubricates the gears that turn my productive arrogance. And the best part of the mall attentory? Those imprisoned within these establishments do not learn any skills that would help them in the outside world and receive nothing in the way of any therapeutic experiences. My belief is that a 20-year sentence spent in a tiny cage, staring out at the spoils of a decadent consumerism, will induce the kind of mass buildup of rage and resentment that is guaranteed to keep a prisoner from reoffending after they're released. That's the kind of vision I have for Canada and all levels of our society, from the upper class to the lower upper to the middle class of the lower upper middle class. So look forward to those changes and remember, I'm looking out for all of you, which is kind of the same as saying I'm always watching. Toodles.
Come one, come all. Come to the circus, children of any age. A veritable cornucopia of strange and wonderful sights awaits you. Thrill to the deadly Arabian anaconda, who has never really been able to get into the wire. Recoil in horror from the orangutan with the face of a leopard and the credit rating of a cheetah. Delight at the Kansas farmer, who still thinks hip-hop is a passing phase. Get your picture taken with professional wrestler Dumb Steve, and lend $10 to his brother John, who needs it to bribe the woman who walks his cat. And beyond these attractions, there's the death-defying acrobatics of the Kinkoff brothers, who will attempt to jump from a small trampoline onto an even smaller trampoline, while still maintaining their dignity. And if you like music, we've got the Little River Band, who keep following us from town to town and playing outside our tent for some reason. And did someone say Demolition Derby? Indeed. On Sunday at 4 o'clock, come see the reputations of several local businessmen. Be demolished forever, ever, ever, ever. Oh, and did someone say Burt Reynolds? And no? Okay, so, on June 25th, see the excitement and ignore the sadness. Adness, Adness, Adness. Coffins. No, no. Coffins, I said. Well, because it's, it's going to happen eventually. I just don't want to get caught off guard. Well, no, I'm just saying that, you know, like my, my career is going to die. I might as well have a commemorative coffin. I don't know, it's, it's not practical, I know, it's just kind of fun. Like, if my, if my career as an insurance salesman dies, I just think it would be nice to uh, give it a, a sort of toy commemorative coffin. No, it's not, it's not morbid or depressing, it's just uh, accepting reality. Well, look, I'm the one paying the $800, so... Okay, so you can have that delivered by... The 21st. Okay. Alright. Thanks, Grandma. Oh, <laughs> hello there, show listener. I didn't see you come in. I was just on the phone. Uh, having... <laughs> it must have sounded like quite a crazy conversation from your end. Oh, I can just imagine the laughter you engaged in. Oh, brother, so this week... What did, uh, what did we learn? Well, we learned that uh, if you go hunting uh, in the small creek near your home for uh, the, myth- the mythical jackalope, peanut butter is not the best bait. Especially if you smear it there. Rather hazardous... I must say, uh, what else did we learn? Well, we learned that if you are trying to become 
a famous uh, entertainment reporter. Uh, it's probably best not to go to journalism school because these, you know, quote-unquote reputable journalism schools, they don't teach you the finer points of when to smile, which is always, and when not to smile, which is never. So it's just not all that practical. Keep that in mind. Now, I don't, I don't know where uh, Ben Mulrooney studied. Uh, I'm tempted to say it's the Sorbonne, but I, I, I could be wrong. I could also be wrong in my pronunciation of Sorbonne. Sorbonne. Yeah, I think I said Sorbonne. Sorbonne being the name of uh, an unreleased Tex Avery cartoon. I'm not going to delve into that anymore. I've already said too much. Look, there are some people in the world who uh, have access to Tex Avery's private archive of not ready for eight-year-old minds cartoons. And some don't. And uh, I think it's obvious which camp I fall into. The great thing about Tex Avery's vault of unreleased and oft-shocking cartoons is that, uh, you know how on, like in certain, say, espionage movies or something, spy thrillers, you have that conceit of the bookcase where you select a certain book and then that triggers the rotating wheel that kind of spins you into the secret chamber. Well, with, uh, his secret vault, it's kind of the same principle, except that you have to shoot the nose off a, a wax mannequin of Henry Winkler. Now, it seems uh, that seems a little more complicated than it needs to be, quite frankly. I mean, picking a random book is something one could conceivably do, but... I mean, if you're like me, you don't really enter a room, see a wax mannequin... Of Henry Winkler and think that nose has got to go and then you pull out your Dillinger I mean I, I carry a Dillinger I would just never use it unless it was absolutely necessary like if I was um, being mugged or if someone asked me to give them the time something like that anything where my life is being threatened or where I'm being forced to engage with the world. So yeah, it's just, it's a very strange thing. Um, someone had to tell me when I made my visit to uh, pull out my pistol or assault rifle, whatever it is that you carry to keep yourself safe. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's quite bizarre. Now, where was I going with this? Well, in a sense... That's not the real question we should be asking. We should really be asking ourselves, where is this going with us? Think about that. And then, when you do that, tell me what it means. Uh, in any case, uh, so many people to thank this week. 
chief among them, Jim Gengau. Jim Gengau. You will, of course, know him as the famed aviator and less famed flamenco guitarist who gave, or at least tried to give us such songs as the purple isn't as funny as the gray one. And, uh, of course, who could remember his 1974 composition? Well, well, all right, then. Uh, those were both considerable failures on the flamenco guitar charts. Uh, so I'd like to thank him. I don't remember why, but uh, he's in my thoughts. Uh, not in my prayers, though, oddly enough. Sorry. <laughs> One out of two ain't bad, or it's also not that great. Uh, who else to thank? Uh, I gotta thank, of course, as always, uh, Eleanor Mosevelt, who uh, goes to parties dressed as Eleanor Roosevelt uh, and breaks out into a surprise break dance. I think that's why she calls herself Mosevelt. It's kind of like real Eleanor Roosevelt, but she moves. Uh, so I'd like to thank her um, just for her existence and also um, just helping me through my dependence on off-brand pastries. It's been a tough slog, but uh, I think I've slain that demon. And uh, with that in mind, have a good night and a good week. Uh, I don't want to speak to the whole month. Let's just take this one segment at a time here. But do remember that uh, next month is Garbage Upheaval Month. So throw your garbage into the air and run, run as the goblin flies against... Sand. Good night.